I know. Like, I was really like good. talking to the audience. I thought I was talking oh, okay. to the audience. That's what I thought you were yeah. doing too. Just, uh, think of that as rehearsal. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into it. All, All right. right, let's do it again. I thought we were recording the whole time. I was performing oh, okay. already. <laughs> oh, we're, we're perfectly naturalistic performers. There is no <laughs> performance from any of us. All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of Unverified Accounts, listeners. I'm Chris. I'm here again with Liza. Hey, Liza. Hey. And Philip. What's up? What's up? And, you know, please uh, look at the show notes, follow us on Twitter, our individual accounts and the show account. And you can find us on iTunes and, you know, or I guess they call it Apple Podcasts now, Spotify, etc. Um, so this episode, we're going with the election. I can't even believe it's less than, what, two or three weeks away. With it yes, coming up, we're going to, mm-hmm. uh, we're actually going to talk about the movie Election and other movies that brought us into politics for better or for worse and all that but before we get into that uh, a bunch of stuff happened this week we want to talk about liza uh there's a new movie on netflix that you really enjoyed you want to tell us a bit about that yes and i think it's timely um trial of the chicago seven it just came out on netflix on friday and i know i've mentioned it in a couple previous podcasts because i'm a huge fan of aaron sorkin i'm a huge fan of sasha baron cohen um, the movie has an ensemble cast like uh, Sorkin's movies usually do it. It's a very good one. You've got Sasha Baron Cohen, like I've mentioned. You've got Frank Langella, uh, Eddie Redmayne, who already won Best Actor for Theory of Everything when he played Stephen Hawking, um, <clears throat> Michael Keaton, uh, Mark Rylance. Chris, I'm pretty sure that we're both fans of Mark Rylance. We're both Dunkirk fans. Yeah, Dunkirk, very good movie. Yeah. So if you don't know who Mark Rylance is, he plays the um, very level-headed dad on the Pleasure Craft, one of the civilian boaters in Dunkirk. Uh, but So this is a movie that, like, it's Aaron Sorkin's movies just do this for me. Like, the same thing happened with Social Network. I finished the movie, and then I went right back to the beginning and I watched the whole movie again, and then wow, uh, the it's, like, very, it's like a song you really like. You man. just gotta like put it on. Yeah, repeat. I do. I do <laughs> think that Aaron long. Sorkin's movies, I think, are very like they're musical to me. Like, I woke up the next morning and I put on Trial of the Chicago Seven, and I watched it all the way through again for the third time. Got it. Yeah. Well, we're gonna watch it, right? But mm-hmm. really, what I want to talk about today is to get everyone to watch the movie. Like, I had no idea who this movie. Um, I knew it was Oscar bait. And usually when it's an Oscar bait movie, they're trying to push like a bunch of acting awards. And I wasn't sure who it's going to be because there's so many good actors in this ensemble. But it's definitely Sasha Baron Cohen. And um, <laughs> who who said last week that Sasha Baron Cohen was not going to get nominated for any Oscars? I was, I was talking about Borat 2, which is also <laughs> coming soon. Which I'm also excited about. Exhibit A in this trial of Philip. <laughs> Yeah, so they're gonna be it's gonna be misleading. Um Borat too, I'm excited for that. Much more lowbrow than this movie, but <laughs> uh speaking of the Oscars, um I asked you guys this recently. Do, do you think it'll happen this year? Uh will it be like the Emmys where it's just like Zoom awards? Yeah, do you think that's it, what I want. think it's too prestigious to do that? You said it's gonna be April now, like March it's April. It's supposed to be like March, April. They pushed it back and now they're talking about canceling uh, it, but I totally disagree. I think that they should keep them on. Like when you I say cancel, have... you mean like do it from home, right? Not cancel the Oscars. They can't do that. No, I think that they mean cancel the Oscars what? as in like 
As in, I think that when they say cancel the Oscars, I think what they mean is they're going to combine 2020 and 2021 oh, into one big awards it, show it next year. It kind of makes year. sense because there's not that many movies coming out, right? You're right. So, I think that's their main concern that this will be I like an asterisk year. I think there's plenty of movies out. Mm. Um, I mean, like definitely not as it would have been, right? So whoever wins, a uh, lot might of the blockbuster movies didn't come out, but a lot of other movies did. That come are out. the movies in the pipeline for the 2021 Oscars will be short, right? So I, I kind of get it actually. Or or maybe there'll be like an overload in the next year. I yeah. think that see all the uh, so a lot of like um, a lot of the indies and a lot of like drama movies. Um, uh, like when I think of that, I think of like um. King of Staten Island. I think of Trial to Chicago Seven. Um, I think of like The Invisible Man, which was a thriller with Elizabeth Moss, and it was really good. Um, isn't First Cow streaming? Like these are all excellent movies. So the blockbusters didn't come out, right? But I think overall the the, the field won't be nearly as strong, and then. My thinking is they're gonna think that no one's gonna take this year seriously. So, <laughs> oh, it wasn't yeah, but that it movie didn't seem to get great like Crazy, but it came out. Nomadland, Nomadland came out because a lot of the a lot of the film festivals where these Oscar bait movies come from, they all went virtual, so they did come out. Mm-hmm. They premiered well, Nomadland, and then like Hillbilly Elegy is coming to Netflix. Oh, that soon. that's gonna be a delicious controversy. It could it could be the new American Sniper. Where the- <laughs> no, I think it's gonna be three billboards or Joker. We should watch uh, those three together. Yeah, I, th- I think Joker is is a good comparison. Three billboards, I think, was too kind of like offbeat to be as mainstream. Uh, but you know, Hillbilly Elegy is is Ron Howard, so he's like a major, major director, Oscar winning director, kind of like Clint Eastwood. The subject mm-hmm. matter is very uh you know of the times, and it's gonna it's gonna be a it's gonna be an entertaining controversy to witness. And it comes out Thanksgiving weekend, which is like so perfect. They know oh, that everyone that's is going to be at home. White liberal apocalypse <laughs> is Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't. Perfect I don't time. know if it's going to be as big. A, like, I don't know if those like my racist uncle coming over for Thanksgiving is going to be as huge a deal this year. Depending on well, who it's going to be like, uh, you know, I got to mute my racist uncle on Zoom. I don't know though because it's going to be post election. We have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, true. So it could be like absolute misery. Uh, yeah, it's only yeah. going to be three weeks after the election. Right. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. Is everyone just doing like a Zoom Thanksgiving this year? What's everyone doing? I don't know. Like I never do Thanksgiving with my family anyway. So it's uh-huh. not going to make, make a difference. The only difference it's going to make for me is like I usually get invited to somebody else's Thanksgiving uh, mm-hmm. every year. So I'm guessing this year it's not going to happen. So it'll just be like my brother <laughs> and me. Yeah. Me probably cooking up a chicken. I don't want to cook a turkey for two people. So Turkey's so gross anyway. It's all right. I think if it's you so work dry. really hard. It's but it's like dry, the best turkey is... About as good as I think, like a, a, a you know decent chicken. So why not just do a chicken, <laughs> or better yet, do something like lamb or steak. You know, fuck fuck tradition. Uh, Thanksgiving it's a bullshit holiday anyway. We had our we mm-hmm. had our Thanksgiving in Canada last weekend, and we just did a. a we lamb always do between. Filipino food anyway. We yeah. never do turkey. Us weirdos with our like pre Halloween Thanksgiving. <laughs> What's up with that? Right? No Black Friday. No Black Friday. Yeah. Distract you. All right, uh, moving down this list, there was a, a controversy for like a day or two about the ca- casting of Cleopatra. Philip, you mentioned that some people might not be familiar with this. Anyone who's like, I guess, not on Twitter uh, wouldn't know. So I'll just briefly give an explainer. So they're making this new movie about Cleopatra. It's the Wonder Woman team with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. And people were upset with Gal's casting because 
I mean, there were a whole reason. I think the main reason is that they thought she's too white to play Cleopatra. Uh, I think there's this misconception that Cleopatra was either black or or like Arab or something, and like she's actually an inbred Macedonian. So um, there was this great tweet uh, by someone who said that uh, Cleopatra was a white foreign imperialist. Therefore, Gal Gadot is the perfect actress to play her. <laughs> and that was a very astute observation. You know, I, I, I assume whenever there's a controversy around Gal Gadot, that it's just because she's Israeli and she was like former IDF, was she? Uh, um, yeah, but that's like very fringe until maybe very recently. Because like when Wonder Woman came out, I didn't really hear of it until a bit after because I think most people just wanted to celebrate her. Now, course, I think yeah, especially yeah. among leftist circles, they're like, oh, yeah, she's a, she's a Zionist tool. But I, I still think most people, I, I think she got way more flack for the uh, Imagine video than for any ties to the, to the <laughs> IDF. But I mean, I, I saw some very funny things in the Cleopatra controversy. I think the funniest tweet was somebody who said like, uh, like we don't know who the mother of Cleopatra is. And she was, so she, there's a good chance she was like, you know, Egyptian, like what we think of Egyptians today. Therefore, a light-skinned black woman should play her. I'm like, what the hell? Like that just... That just pisses off everybody because you're trying to stay loyal to, I guess, the Egyptians. But then why would you get a light-skinned black woman to play her? Who you know, yeah. that's not related at all. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of like gymnastics going on there too. Who is a group that was actually pissed off? Was it like Egyptian Twitter? Is Egyptian Twitter a thing? I I have no idea. I don't profess any expert okay. in that area. But I do think a lot of Egyptians were upset because. You know, like if you look at like the, all the Arab-Israeli wars, Egypt was the the leading nation, uh, leading yeah. the whole like pan-Arab movement. And for one of their historic, like literal queens, to be portrayed by an Israeli, I mean, it's a lot of like retrofitting of modern politics onto a past where you know Islam did not exist. I mean, Cleopatra is basically a pagan, you know. So if you want it to be accurate, you should get like a Macedonian pagan to play her. But I think they were upset. I think the the people who try to push the whole like Black Egypt theory were upset. And then I I, I think like, you know, white liberals who are just desperate to seem woke were upset. But it's like, I think the casting is fine in in terms of race. And, you know, like the whole idea that casting has to be loyal to down to the ethnicity. You know, when Asians are like, you can't cast a Korean as a Vietnamese. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, that is so ridiculous. (laughs) Um, He's just trying to go for relative believability uh so yeah i have to say i don't know if liza you're following this thing but like did, did it feel nice to like sit back and like get the popcorn out and watch some other groups fight over this shit instead of like our <laughs> own because <laughs> this thing comes up all the time for asians right like every fucking it movie does. yeah I, right? I have no dog in this race because even when asians fight over it i don't like it's one of those yeah, things where you don't like, care. why do we need realism in movies like i don't understand this who cares about accuracy and realism it's fiction they're not documentaries, they're movies. I think for them it's about opportunity and rep- like representation and opportunity for the careers of people who are from their ethnicity. I think that's kind of part of the argument, but I, uh-huh. I really don't know who is upset about this, so I- it's hard to say. It's just a blur. I am, yeah. yeah, it's it's a group where I don't really understand the dynamics the way I do in like Asian American mm-hmm. uh, representation yeah. conversation. So like I'm like I'm like slowly Okay, that's a lie. I'm not slowly. I'm like getting more and more turned off by Asian American um, media, like constantly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a brief uh, flare. Uh, you know, the Asian food Twitter got upset because some <laughs> some woman uh, shit talked Haina Hainanese chicken. Am I pronouncing that right? Hainanese chicken. And then, of correct. course, um, this section of Asian Twitter, the only thing they really get passionate about is if someone disses food. I'm mean, like, you know, who really cares? Like, if you like it, fine. If somebody doesn't like it, they're lost, right? So we we gotta do an well, entire episode on how Yelp like is food. Do their like whole racist badges? Like they have oh, their yeah. they have a new thing where they can where they can uh, go and do their pretend activism, their food activism. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like weird activism, um, something I've been seeing a lot more lately uh, is this. I think blaming of black men for like the potential loss of. Uh, Biden Harris, and it started off. I think like the, uh, the ice first, cube thing. Yeah, I think I think the ice cube thing definitely put uh, gasoline on the fire. But you know, it wouldn't have mattered um, unless this was kind of like a, a sentiment uh, among some people all along. But I, just to give some background info, uh, Ice Cube has something called like Compact with Black America. He said that he presented it both to the Democrats and Republicans, but the Republicans took him more seriously, and he tweeted that. And I think. One of Trump's uh, stooges uh, retweeted that by Ice Cube saying, like, oh, thank you, Mr. Cube, for, you know, working with us and all that. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with him pointing out, like, a fact. Like, they paid more. They Yeah, it could be a warning. It could be saying, like, hey, why did you guys not, get, you know, why yeah. the Dems have our back, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could, some pe- I could see some people questioning his timing. And it's like, do you really think Trump's going to do something in the next couple of weeks? Like, couldn't you have just waited? I can understand that strategic point of view, but eh. what was really just, like eye-catching was then how it just became this thing about black men in general we're gonna we're like the hinge demographic that we're gonna cost uh us uh a biden victory and <laughs> which get hasn't, even happened, it hasn't, even, hasn't happened even happened yet it hasn't even happened yet also uh by just like the logical extension like black men are like the second most like pro-democratic slash anti-trump demographic right behind mm-hmm. black women so if black men are are to be impugned for not being as, I guess, good as black women, then what the fuck does that make us Asian Americans or Latino Americans, Mm -hmm. South Asian Americans, um, white Americans? We're all like, we're all just like, should be even more condemned. But like, is being conservative something to like, I mean, I understand that like being conservative is considered pretty awful, you know, because we associate conservatism with like fascism. But like, is just ha- is just being a conservative like? Is it supposed to be like that bad? I don't think they're really accusing black men of being conservative because I, I think that's a little bit hard to take. Maybe you can accuse like older black men of being conservative, like you know, especially if they're like in the south and are very religious. I think what they're really uh, this is about is turnout. That they're saying that oh yeah, you might not vote for Trump, but unless you're out there really boosting Biden Harris, you're. Might as oh well God, vote for Trump because like that, that still doesn't jive well a with the facts, A non-vote right? is a vote for Trump, and like a vote for the Green yeah. Party is a vote for Trump, and like, oh, don't worry, us lefties are next. We we've been, we're <laughs> we're all gonna get the blame from one group or uh, so. So like Asian American representation, uh, Yelp liberal people, they're gonna be blaming. Um, they're going to be blaming Asian American leftists who didn't vote like us, and then they're going to be voting Asian American conservatives like their parents. Everyone's going to be blaming somebody, and like liberals will never blame themselves. But the crazy thing is that the blame's happening before the event has even occurred, and also the statistics tell you that this is not true. So, like, yeah. what what does it mean that this is becoming a like that this is flaring up? Like, are these pe- people willing 
this to happen. Like they kind of want this to happen so they can impugn this group. I don't really understand the psychology. I think they need insurance in case it happens. Because, okay, if you're like, say, the type of person... Who's they? Who's they? Like black women, white women, like... uh, Whatever, the whole like DNC coalition of of groups. Uh, I think it's a a multi... It's a diverse coalition. I think less diverse in terms of like education and uh, socioeconomic level. But in terms of like race and gender, I think it's quite diverse. Mm -hmm. So these are the people who really tried to sell us on someone like Kamala Harris being like the, the next Obama, you know, circa 2008. But remember, like Kamala it's Harris the was one of the identity first... politics people. Right. And, and it's remember, okay Kamala's... if it's, mm-hmm. it's okay if it's like a police state. It's okay if it's like um, the top prosecutor and like someone who, who like totally supports the school to prison pipeline, as long as it's a black woman, right? Yeah. Because well, remember, like Kamala had a lot of money up front. She was quite like pop well visible for a number of years but she was one of the first people to totally flame out after Tulsi Gabbard of all people KO'd her in a debate <laughs> and now she's been kind of like backdoored onto the ticket uh by being handpicked by Biden who himself is not a particularly popular like pick among uh, among the people so i and let's say they lose this election then all the people who try to sell us that you know, the, the whole like uh, yeah, identity politics that someone like Kamala Harris represents is is the wave of the future are totally even more discredited than they were in 2016. So they need to pin this on someone. Apparently, I think they've chosen uh, straight black men as as the fall people, which I find completely uh, ridiculous considering uh, we just spent the whole summer, uh, you know, protesting uh, the deaths yeah. of so many, so many black men. This yeah. is an issue that, that's the craziest thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if you look at the stats, it's like what, like 95 percent of all uh, of these like police shootings happen to to black men. You know, so we're purportedly supporting them, yet uh, ready to blame them for uh, you know, not a likely, but still, it's not. It's a pretty significant chance that Trump wins re-election. And Philip, you're talking about stats. I looked it up to see if in 2016 there was like a record um, uh, drop off in black turnout. I mean, understandable because the person who came up before was Obama. Mm-hmm. I tried to see if there was like any like gendered um, difference. No, it's like for I think both black men and women, there was a record drop off. So if you really want to pin this on like black men, I think you got to do it on black women too, which I think would be equally bullshit because I don't think. You're, you know, people are owed any vote. And that's like, Philip, you and me, we got that uh, in our back. We're not Americans. So we can't vote. So don't blame us. You know? I These always forget that you guys are Canadian and can't vote. Um, yeah. So why? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a topic you want to th- uh, discuss, Liza. I mean, since this whole pod is about elections, like why, do, why the fuck do we care? Maybe that's a good transition to the wider wider topic mm-hmm. of this pod. Um, mm-hmm. Why do we care? I mean, it's easy for me. Uh, my parents don't live in Canada anymore. I haven't really been to Canada more than once in the, over the last 10 years. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I think, effectively American at this point. I've spent college, a law school, and my working life in America. Mm-hmm. And it's just much more consequential. Uh, Canadian politics, yeah, I mean, like, w- what's, like, the one issue that is debated? I mean, because, like, things like, I mean, Philip, you're more of an expert on this than I would be, but things like, like national health care, that's pretty settled. No one's really debating abortion, really, I don't think, or any of the, you know, hot button issues that affect America. Often, I think it's it's like rhetoric with respect to the U.S., maybe some natural resources, like do we drill more in Alberta? But you know what, that 
that's like I, th- I think the the direction of the country the stakes is more are low, settled. right? It's like things are kind of it, it's set. It's it's not it's not. I mean, like if you are actually still paying attention and and living in Canada, there's like a lot of disturbing stuff happening, like with Quebec and the uh, kind of far right groups that are you know surging up there and so on. Um, but like I think it's interesting in your case too, Chris, because like you are like effectively American politics affects you more, but you have no you have skin in the game, but you have no way to do anything about it you can't vote you had to pay taxes but it goes towards this you know government that you don't really put in place yeah. so why, why do you still care given that is it just that it's interesting like you know you're going to talk about primary colors like you talked about you know you're interested in it being like a horse race and just like fun to watch like popcorn style or is it actually something that ha- is consequential to you well it, it is obviously consequential to me given that i am in the in no, but the you're, US, you're, but you live in new is... york city you're, you live in a, like a completely blue state like true the, true the but, shitty you know, stuff that happens in the south is it going to affect you for the most part so why do you true care? true but you know i'll talk about this more when i talk about a uh, primary colors as like the movie that got me into politics but there, there, i have to admit there's definitely a horse race uh kind of gladiatorial <laughs> aspect that is uh you know that what watch. draws me in but yeah. i'll get into that later um, I, I have a pretty, for me, like, you know, I, I don't live in the States. I live in Toronto and Canada here. Um, a lot of people here do pay more attention to American politics than Canadian politics for the reasons that you said, Chris. But there is one aspect of American politics, even though most of it kind of kind of doesn't affect us for the most part. Um, there is one aspect of it that is pretty consequential that I care about, which is climate change, right? Like mm-hmm. whatever the fuck happens in the States with respect to climate change is going to have huge effects for us as well. Um, you know, and I'm not even talking about like this crazy idea that like once all the, once Florida is drowned, everyone's going to move up to Canada or whatever. Um, <laughs> just, just in, in general, right. That's a huge piece. And, you know, with Biden and Trump, there's a big difference between Biden's approach and Trump's approach. Um, not to say that Biden's approach is satisfactory, but that's the part that, that matters, right? Like end of the day, I, if I could vote, I would vote for the Dems because I care about climate change and that affects people outside of the States. So, but aside from that, like you're right, like it day to day, it's not a huge deal. It is, I, I don't care about the horse race aspect of it. There's some, you know, interesting drama, I guess it comes out of it. But like, end of the day, there, there is still a consequence that, uh, that we should not forget. All right. So why don't we talk about uh, election movie, uh, literally called Election, that we've all watched <laughs> uh, and I think has become surprisingly such a, uh, like a touchstone in American pop culture. Because uh-huh. When it came out, I think this movie what came out in ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, yeah, yeah. It was it, part uh, of that last that last uh, era of like really really fucking amazing movies that came out in nineteen ninety nine. Right, uh, but you know, it came out. It went out to good reviews. It was the movie that really launched Reese Witherspoon's career. Mm-hmm. But I would not describe it as some kind of like blockbuster either at the you know uh, mass commercial level or you know at, at the level of of this kind of mid-budget type of movie no, i think uh, but, it got its cult following once it hit like vhs and like uh streaming right and i and i think it, it's sustained relevance is due or to the DVD. fact that i don't know how much tracy flick was based on hillary clinton because it you know, wasn't bl- she's not based on hillary clinton right I think but there's like so many so many parallels right there are uh, so many parallels in fact like, like, like hillary what? clinton when she met reese witherspoon she brought up that she she identified as the Tracy Flick, right? <laughs> like, like her. yeah, Hillary herself saw like she, she, you know, she called herself Tracy Flick, right? And 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 I remember like in the you know like around like 2015, you know, when the Democratic primaries were going on, you know, Tracy Flick was a common 
character uh, used in reference to Hillary Clinton, not in a flattering way. And mm-hmm. no, when people when people so it's weird that Hillary Clinton referred to herself as a Tracy Flick because anyone it's such an archetype um, that like when people bring up Tracy Flick, it is never in a positive way. It's always a negative. Right. It's, but it's yeah, an yeah. insult. I, but right, but I think there's a certain type of person who will ch- who sees her as as an antihero, kind of like like Becky Sharp from like Vanity Fair, where yeah, mm. she is not a good person. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. uses people, but uh, you know, she is like especially like as a woman in her times trying to fight back against all the odds against her. I think there are a lot of people who do see Tracy Flick as an antihero, and I think that's what Hillary Clinton was trying to do. I'm but I, avoid I was just saying those kinds of people It'll be like a litmus <laughs> test going forward. But, but did you see how I think it was uh, Mike Pompeo or I, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Trump did it himself yeah, they were trying to revive like Hillary Clinton as an issue in 2020 which I found <laughs> really funny and sad about, yeah, yeah something like that um, they try to bring her like oh yeah d- like there's this like new batch of emails we found it's like come on you know this is this is 2020 <laughs> nobody nobody cares anymore but I bring that up can because I, can I bring up um, can I give a brief description of election for oh, yeah, our sure, audience for, yeah yeah, um, so it's a pretty simple comedy. It's a movie about um, a simple small town student council race in Omaha, Nebraska. And Tracy Flick is played by Reese Witherspoon, who is the shoe in for student council president until the rich, popular jock enters the race. And well, why does the, he enter the race? I think that's the critical well, part. Well, the rich, popular jock is convinced by his teacher, played by Matthew Broderick, to enter the race, and um, it turns out later through a series of flashbacks that that particular teacher has a grudge against Tracy Flick. Right. Um, and we uh, then the race gets more shaken up by a third party wildcard candidate who is none other than the younger sister of popular jock and. She gives a very like burn it all down speech that like thrills the hilarious. student body. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're hilarious. <laughs> that was the best part. And um, the screenwriter for the film said that he was inspired by the 1992 American presidential election when George Bush ran against Bill Clinton, and then Ross Perot entered the race and started getting just stealing all of the news coverage. Right. So this is a movie though. Like this is definitely a political movie. Um. It, it's really about like likability and popularity versus policy and how we how we vote. Really, it doesn't mm. feel political though. It doesn't. It, it doesn't, really doesn't. That's what's genius about it. It doesn't feel political yeah. at all. Right, but um, Liza, you mentioned that the the screenwriter was inspired by the 1992 election. Uh, but I think that the genius of this film is it can really be applied to a whole bunch. Because I was thinking it of can be the 2016, to 2016 election. Because yeah. <laughs> obviously, mm. Tracy Flick is Hillary Clinton. Uh, Paul Metzler, to to a lesser extent, is Bernie Sanders. I mean, obviously, what? That doesn't uh, like make any, no, 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 no. It's the other way. It's the other way around. This is so you, when you guys are saying Tracy Flick and Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I definitely were, think were, the younger I, sister is the Bernie Sanders. The wild. Yeah, but Bernie yeah. Sanders is not burning it all down. No, Bernie no, Sanders. But, uh, okay, no, uh, but he's definitely not the Paul Metzler. He's a wild card. Yeah. Well, I say he's Paul Metzler because he was definitely had like the popular Paul Metzler is the George support. Bush, and he is de- he is like the. Um, I don't know. I, I guess he, I guess he'd be like the Democrat, like supposed to be like the likable, um, relatable one, but like absolutely nothing on policy. Okay, but stay with <laughs> stay with me here. Stay with me. Here. I'm I know pretty it's not sure a perfect- that Tracy Tracy Flick to me reads as conservative to me. 
Right, right. She even she even becomes an aide to a Republican congressman. Yeah, that's right. Uh, later at the, end, at the yeah. end. But stay with me here. I know it's not a perfect <laughs> analogy because obviously seventy something Bernie Sanders is no jock. But sure. if you look at like Tracy Flick's resentment against Paul Metzler, like she she there's a line where she says something like, you know, some people have worked hard all their life and, and whatever <laughs> until for Funny. Until like somebody who's not deserving comes in just because like people like them, and I, this is why I referenced um, <laughs> Alexandra Schwartz New Yorker article, which I, I want to talk about very soon, because I think a lot of people, especially Hillary Clinton supporters, saw someone like Bernie Sanders as some as somebody who did not put in their work, came in on this fluke wave of like popularity, taking away something from somebody who truly deserved it. And the Tammy Metzler character, I saw someone as like Jill Stein, like a total, somebody who had absolutely no hope of winning. Cause like Bernie Sanders actually had some hope of winning, who was just there to muck it all up and was just, was just a troublemaker. And yeah, per, as I understand, it's not a perfect analogy, but that whole dynamic of the front runner who put in all the work all their life versus the okay. upstart popular I get, I get person. I, yeah. Uh, that's what it reminded me of. Okay. Yeah, that was that was not my interpretation. Just because like Paul Metzler was the maybe not the popular side, but the fact that he was a rich kid made me feel like he was more establishment dem. Like they have their own kind of in crowd, and they're going to win every time. That kind of shit. Right, so but that's then why, who's that's Tracy how I Flick then? Too. Well, Tracy I don't know. Is... It's not a perfect analogy. I'm saying I, if Paul Metzler still has aspects to him that feel like blue check Democrats. You know, like the whole in crowd that we did dislike. Okay, well, what if we do it? What if we what if we do it the way the screenwriter intended? He said he was inspired by the 1992 election. Okay. So is George is Bill Clinton, Paul Metzler, and like well, that George, makes sense. Well, George like, uh, Bush is Tracy Flick, and then obviously Ross Perot is Tammy. Well, that makes that that's a, a more fitting analogy because H.W. Uh, was like you know director of the CIA, a World War II hero, really did have one of the I think best resumes for a president ever uh mm-hmm. bill clinton was you know smooth talking I, I i think he was a jock to the extent he played like rugby at oxford when he was there on a on a scholarship i'm sure he like played sports in high school too um he was young his resume wasn't particularly that impressive you know he's governor of arkansas you know got jobs uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but he was you know i mean i guess he was good looking for for a politician i mean the standards are pretty low but smarmy but there was that famous um, clip on YouTube during one of these like debates where this woman asks uh, George H. W. Bush about the economy, and he just gives like a very short, clipped answer, and then Bill Clinton goes on this long speech about how when he was governor, he used to be friends with the people who worked at the factory and stuff. And that's probably I think standard issue debating style now, but I think at the time it was considered like radically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. empathetic and stuff. Mm. So yeah, that's like a more a fit a fit analogy. It's an election I didn't follow because I was just too young. Yeah, I was like four years old when that happened. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask one more question about the the, the characters, the Tracy Flick character. Did mm-hmm. you feel like you were supposed to, and did you sympathize with Tracy Flick after her monologue about her being? You That's know, her what's hum- so fascinating upcoming... about her, right? Is she, like, is she a villain? Is she a is she a is she a villain? Is she a victim? Is she an abuse survivor? Uh, is she like an annoying, cunning, overachiever? Is she a conservative? Is she a Democrat? Is she all of the above? Right. I think you. I think I do sympathize with her, especially because, like, her main nemesis, Jim McAllister, is also such a scummy character or untrustworthy because, um, you know, he, like, 
he's he's a grown grown adult who meddles in some <laughs> teenage election, cheats on his wife, and it's just like, and he's he's just such a sad character, you know. He okay, but like, let's talk about what Tracy did too. Or is it because that she's a minor, she gets forgiven for it? I, I think she has the advantage of uh, being seen as young and you know Uh like at that age a lot of people don't have much perspective and you know think like getting elected school president actually matters and all that but then when you contrast her to to a grown married man who's had a life experience and he's just as immature as she is you're like oh she's just living in a crappy world so maybe she's you know like she's not a moral person but nobody else is (laughs) so That's yeah. that's kind of, that, it's a very bleak movie. I remember I, watching I, it as a kid, yeah, it is. It is. and at the guys, end, I was like, "Oh my god!" I thought this was supposed to be like a high school comedy, like American Pie. It even no, has no. Chris Klein. The nineties has so many good teen movies, but I really think that Election is the best of the bunch. Like Reese Witherspoon, I'm a fan. Uh, she really mm-hmm. makes this movie work because she is at mm-hmm. her most annoying. Every <laughs> scene and every voiceover is so funny, and like. I don't know. Did she get like a dialect coach or something to give her that very like um, that Midwestern accent? But like, uh, maybe she's so, she's I don't know. Like, she's so uppity. Uh, the most galling scene is when she uh, when Tammy takes the fall for tearing down Paul's posters, and immediately <laughs> uh, the first thing Tracy does is scream at her. Uh, How could you? Her, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. she probably knows that uh, Tammy knows that she did it, she, like yeah. it does not even occur to her to be contrite. It's like she's immediately she sees that, yeah, yeah, complete opportunist. Saw saw that uh, she had won and just yeah, yeah. So okay, given so 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 given that we can like interpret her character as this kind of like mixed bag, maybe antihero, maybe like opportunist, self serving. What is it? Because you guys are talking, I didn't realize people were you know Hillary compared herself to Tracy Flick and people. People like to compare themselves to Tracy Flick. Did they just see the hardworking, kind of humble, goody two shoes, you know, side of her and relate to that part and completely no. ignore all the bad <laughs> shit? Or I don't did they think admit? So. I definitely didn't. I mean, this so this movie came out in 1999, and like I was, uh, you know, I, I I just graduated from an all girls private school, and there's definitely a mm-hmm. ton of these types of just extremely annoying overachievers <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. And so who- I just, I don't relate. I was not like one of them. Um, I was kicked off the yearbook staff. I was kicked off the prom committee. <laughs> Wait, why? I'm just, I'm very unreliable. Oh, like okay. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, when it comes to any extracurricular activity, so I just didn't do any. So like I would sign up for like prom committee and like I didn't attend like so I think that they they like forgave me for like the first ten meetings that I missed, and then it became pretty. I was wasn't going to do anything. Um, I just didn't feel like paying for tickets for prom. I was kicked off the yearbook staff because um, uh, I don't know. I just want. I just I was irritated that like the only reason I joined the yearbook staff was because those kinds of girls were the ones who were always had their photos like on every single page of the yearbook. <laughs> of so course. I was like, Oh no, no, me and my stoner friends, we're going to get our pictures in the yearbook mm-hmm. and I'm going to make sure of it. So, you know, I, I, I like, I, I also, so the reason I got kicked off the yearbook staff was because, um, I was posting, um, I was submitting very unflattering photos of, um, the overachiever girls that I didn't like. Like I would find pictures of them like picking their wedgie in the gym. <laughs> Wait, and, like, how did you I have these pictures sub- in the first place? Well, I mean, when you 
So like we use the cameras that the school provides and then like you have all of the digitals. Also, were you like the the class photographer or there was like a photo crew that you were part of? No, there's like a photo crew and then like whoever gets responsible for like a certain spread, you know, it's like you just have to fill in, you just fill in the photos into the layout. So I was just putting like... Oh, I see. um, (laughs) She's the unflattering ones. I realized that this is very like petty and it's immature and... um, all right. Well, uh, here's the here's the question about whether or not this relates back to Tracy Fleck is even though you like maybe didn't care about these places and got kicked out and so on, did you still put them on your college application? No, I couldn't. Oh, okay. So you're not like Tracy Fleck. <laughs> no, no, because I already knew. I, I so I wanted to go to University of Maryland anyway. So I already knew I was going to get in. Mm. It was I didn't work that hard. Yeah, I, I was about to say. I mean, because we talked about social media in a, you know a couple episodes ago. Remember how it was like a like a very passive aggressive thing to tag your friends uh when you had like unflattering pictures of them and then that could, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know, know that the time so, facebook no. came around i didn't do that anymore <laughs> uh, yes i do remember that was a thing though yeah yeah it was like a subtle act of war it's like yeah it's like psychological like. warfare that the kind of things that girls do um so anyway uh one thing i thought because like alexander oh Philip, you mentioned that your wife said Alexander Payne is currently embroiled in a Me Too scandal with Rose McGowan. Uh, yeah. Seems Does anybody like trust something... Rose McGowan right now, though? Uh, didn't yeah, she I mean, good remove question. Me Too? So didn't she, like, remove Me Too from her from her bio on Twitter, like, because she refuses to condemn Joe Biden? And so she lost so much credibility? I think it's the other way around. I think she had a very public spat with Alyssa Milano because Alyssa Milano is very, you know, go blue kind of uh, Crap, which person. one's which? <laughs> and then <laughs> Rose McGowan's the one with the shaved head. Um, and She's then, the one well, in Jawbreaker and Scream. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. I know, yeah. Now I know who um, And I think Rose McGowan took a hard line stand saying, no, we can't. You know, to her credit, I think she was like, no, you're just being a simp for, for the Democrats. And I think, they, I think that's one of the reasons she removed my... T- me too from our bio because she thinks it's like hijacked by Alyssa Milano types. But anyway, Alexander Payne, he is kind of like the master of these depressing Midwestern uh, movies. Have you guys ever seen About Schmidt with Jack Nicholson? Yes. Oh yes. my God. Just one of the most bleak movies uh, out there. Uh, I think Payne's most recent movie is Downsizing. Not a good movie, but also set in the Midwest. But there were just some things I observed. It just because it's in Omaha there's like this scene where Jim uh played by Matthew Broderick and his wife are just like eating this like pathetic salad for dinner around the dinner table and they're just like not talking and he's like trying to talk about how great his marriage is it's so depressing and you just (laughs) see like all these houses I think they're just like these very flat houses um because it's a very flat landscape no mountains or anything in the background and these like dead-end cul-de-sacs in the suburbs so depressing Tammy's thing is she goes to watch the power station and just like looks at the power lines. <laughs> that's like, yeah. That's like the scenery they have. And oh, this is the saddest thing. Remember when uh, Jim is trying to uh, fuck Linda again uh, at the motel? And then he he take, he gives a pop quiz to his students so he can run out to the fucking Walgreens to buy flowers and it's like the Russell, Russell Stover, Stover chocolates. chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good time. Probably like $5 champagne. Hey, I'm not impugning $5 wine. I drink a lot of it myself, but... Was it like Andre or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But I would not... If I was having like uh, an illicit affair with my wife's best friend, I would go... I would aim a little higher. 
Yeah, but okay. I, I guess the point is that he he was really good at like nailing all the details, right? Like all yeah, these no, little. Yeah, no, that's fucking... what I'm saying too. Payne's credit. I don't know if he's from the Midwest. I, I I'm guessing he is because so many of these movies are set in places like Nebraska and stuff. But oh my god, it got that. He was like, born in Omaha, Nebraska. So actually. Down. So, oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> movie is like the definition of like a dark comedy. <laughs> oh, so dark, yeah. especially as a kid. I did not even remember the part about Tracy having the the affair with the teacher that just completely went what? over my head at the but time really because that, yeah. that was that was like the a 20 part, minute flashback scene right i don't know i guess i just blocked it out of at my very, mind or something at the very beginning when everybody the, the all the characters are introducing themselves and doing their monologues and their little like flashbacks mm-hmm. yeah They're, i mean yeah. Th- i thought it was interesting because like the tone of the movie was so like especially the narration was so like ma- kind of matter of fact but very pg right and how mm-hmm. it's uh, how it's described, and yet what's happening on screen is like all this like sometimes very raunchy, disgusting stuff, and you, you get you get the first taste of it like at, like just five <laughs> minutes into the the movie when they're describing you know they're they're getting into um, uh, Matthew Broderick's friend's like affair with Tracy Flick, and there's just this cut to him where he's like her pussy was so wet. Yeah, right? yeah. Which like completely I, throws you off the groove of this being a very kind of like family friendly <laughs> movie. I thought that was amazing because I was like, oh, now the tone of this movie has completely changed. And that fit so well with the movie itself because, you know, there's this election happening, but there's all this like corruption, you know, going on. There's like the, you know, the, the nihilistic uh, candidate Tammy and like all this shit that just makes it so very much so like not not what you'd expect. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where the comedy comes from because all yeah. the narrators in this movie see themselves as good, fundamentally good, probably like solidly Midwestern values that's type right. of people. That's right. But They're the things assholes. they do, especially the especially the adults, because uh, <laughs> like, you know you look at Matthew Broderick, he looks so nice. He's like wearing those uh, <clears throat> short sleeve button downs all the time. He Showers looks like he's a harmless work, man, you know? yeah. but he's kind of a creep. And that's I think where the black comedy works because you know their voices they sound so like chipper and they they exactly they sound so idealistic and clean but then you, you look at what they're actually doing on screen mm-hmm. yeah it's good mm-hmm. uh, so like movies they don't really make movies like that anymore i feel um like i mean did they t- ever entertain i, I mean there, i think there's a reason this movie is in the criterion collection it is oh is it uh, wow. uni- yeah i mean that's how i yeah. watched it on the criterion channel it nice. is uniquely good um you don't own this movie <laughs> Who owns movies? Liza? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm being, a, I'm being mm. a troll again. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, unless we have anything, I mean, we can talk more about election. Um, but I do want to move on to this New Yorker article that came out in February 3rd of 2016 by a writer named Alexandra Schwartz. And, and it it's named- going to be in the show notes for the episode because he doesn't expect you to know exactly what he's talking about. Right, right. Uh, and it's titled, Should Millennials Get Over Bernie Sanders? And I thought it was a weird title because I didn't think that the title really matched the um, the article. Right, because she was talking more about like Gen Z, like very young millennials. Um, but I think this is somebody who I think is of that like Tracy Flick mindset. Because, <laughs> I mean, when, when like Alexandra Schwartz, I, I looked up her bio. She's a Yale grad, 2009. Oh, yeah. When she wrote this, she was already a staff writer for The New Yorker. So she was like in her late 20s, which is really being fast-tracked to success. Because like, you know, to get on The New Yorker, most people are like, you know, in their probably I 40s see. and so stuff. I see. So you were actually irritated by the article. and No, see, the, okay, this is my the, shameful secret. When I read this, like back in like 2016, I identified with this article. Oh, I see. Right. Because like back back in 2016, I was I was a big Hillary supporter. I did not trust 
Bernie Sanders at all or his movement. And the, really? and the reason and the reason for that is, is it's even more embarrassing. Like, hey, you know, listeners, you're getting the whole confessional here. <laughs> the, and it was even more shallow. It wasn't even really about Hillary's politics. It was more about I want I was such a admirer of Barack Obama that I wanted his like legacy to pr- to be preserved. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, I did admire things he did at the time because I thought, oh my God, he like changed healthcare more than like any president since like I don't know Johnson or whoever. Even if it wasn't ideal, it was still way better than anything we got before. Obviously, uh, his like personal uh, charisma and life story was immensely mm-hmm. appealing, and like a-, a lot of other things he did, I thought. And, were, and you didn't want that shit ruined, basically, by this. Yeah, and because if you look at the rhetoric, like Hillary Clinton was essentially campaigning as like the Obama's third term. Yeah. Uh, Bernie was campaigning that uh, you know Obama, especially the uh, like Obama the candidate failed to live up to Obama, the the president. And then we kind of had to start from scratch. And I was like, fuck that. You know, we, we already had like our great victory in 2008. Uh, we just need to, you know, stay the course. <laughs> so, so give a bit more context about this article. Like, is it like a, because I'm looking at the, the article and like- I her read little... it when you sent it out and I couldn't understand right. why okay, you so were- Okay, so I'll summarize yeah. this article because I'm, I'm pretty sure like a lot of people haven't read it. So this is Alexandra Schwartz, who's like in her late 20s at the time, just being bamboozled by why so many young people, especially like in their early 20s, are so gaga over bernie sanders and like one of her conclusions and then she notes how like older millennials like her age are much more supportive of hillary hillary clinton and her conclusion is that because you know people in her age cohort and older had already seen what happened to someone like barack obama who was so idealistic in 2008 but then he got like ground down into being the incrementalist president or maybe that was who he was all along uh you know that's like I think much more clear now after like four years of his post presidency. Um, so she, she was essentially saying that, oh yeah, you know these are kind of like dumb kids and they don't really know what real politics looks like. <laughs> and as it, as I said at the time, I did identify with this with this article and and I'm just as I said, I'm very very glad I did not have Twitter back then, nor was I a staff writer for the New Yorker because I'm sure she probably looks at this now and it's like an albatross around her neck. I, I love how, like, so she nice. might not. She might still stand by it. I mean, Maybe, she, uh, sure, but then it, it would, I think, put her firmly out of touch with. I'm like, looking at the article on on the website, group. and I love how her little like her picture in um her like her little like uh profile picture mm-hmm. has her with those like you know it's a cartoon illustration has her with those like little angry angry eyebrows like the slanted angry eyebrows <laughs> unless she's just like scolding millennials like you guys can't do this you know like coming from because i i because i did not like at the time when this and this is what february 3rd 2016 so this is in in the time it must have been like when when bernie was, was surging uh, right um yeah, i think it must have been either right before or right after iowa probably right before new hampshire so iowa mm-hmm. was just like i remember causing so much trauma to democrats because yeah. that was the one where like hillary won by like point two and then she declared victory before the final count even came in and then they absconded off to to new hampshire where she got clobbered by bernie by i think over 20 points so this was like a huge wake-up call because in 2015 we saw all the bernie rallies but people were saying oh you know what this is just this is a nice distraction and then um people were even kind of nice to him because i remember i think it was in the november debate in 2015 where bernie had to like you know enough about her emails let's talk about the real <laughs> issues you know that kind of thing yeah, um, yeah. so people were like oh bernie what, what a nice man you know in an ideal world i would vote for him there's like a lot of that sentiment going mm-hmm. around then fucking iowa rolls along and like oh shit this this cranky old jew from vermont he could fuck up our plans you know yeah um, that's definitely so the sentiment it was but- i think 
in that period. Yeah, it felt like it was like that was the, the emotion behind why she would write this. And I would say like at that time, like for me personally, I started not getting into politics just yet, but I I did come across like um, that Killer Mike and uh, Bernie interview, mm-hmm. the famous one that like really really like set him up. Um, for a lot of attention from millennials. And I was like, I didn't really care much about politics, but I was like, I really like what this guy's saying. I don't know what it is, but I, and I was actually sharing this video, which like a political video, which I've never done before in my life with friends my age. And it resonated with people like my cousins, you know, like young, younger Asian Americans were like talking about this, uh, this interview and stuff. And I guess that energy was what these people were concerned about, right? The fact that it was actually resonating, right? Uh, with folks outside of their usual blue checky kind of, you know, got into Harvard, got into the New Yorker circles. Yeah, exactly. I just want to read the, a couple of passages. Um, I'll just start off with one and then we can talk about it that I think mm-hmm. are very telling. Um, here's one. So this is her writing. The college students and recent graduates who fervently support Bernie are enjoying their own moment of heaven, inevitably brief. I say this in spiritual solidarity. <laughs> My own phase of very heaven fell during the first campaign of Barack Obama another candidate whose supporters touted him as entirely pure, only to eviscerate him when that premise disintegrated under the pressure of actual politics. And so it's impossible not to see the fervor of young support for Bernie as a reaction in some part against Obama the firebrand turned Obama the moderate. So here she takes on this very uh, kind of almost motherly tone where it's like, oh, you know, hey kids, you know, I've been through this before. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I saw Obama, um, mm-hmm. but you know, trust me, uh, it kind of like you know, when I was your age, I partied and I did <laughs> drugs, and it it wasn't good. So you know, just study and and you know, you know, just to go to school. It has that kind of tone. I mean, to if it. she was a millennial and this was like 2016, then how old was she? What 30? <laughs> I, I think I, she's in her late 20s. I think she was like 28 or 29. She says so. <laughs> where she's worse. like. North of 25, south of 30, she says in there. So, but I think if, as I said, if you are a New Yorker staff writer at that age, you are internally basically older because you've been fast tracked to that success. The people you hang out with are either people like you or probably your mentors and stuff like that. These are the people who deserve to have them pictures of themselves picking their wedgies in the yearbook. (laughs) These are the people that I'm talking about. These are the Tracy Flicks. That's exactly Uh, it. And and um, I okay, don't so- regret doing that one bit. Like the whole the yearbook staff had to issue an apology note to uh, the person that um, the picture made it through all the way to print, and I just did not sign that apology note. Which is Minor what controversy these days. Kicked off of the uh, yearbook staff because I had no remorse. <laughs> I think here here's a, a truly terrible paragraph, which I as I'm, I guarantee you she kind of regrets writing. Uh, I don't think Obama- she does. I think she's a Warren Democrat today. Sure, but like I think even being a Warren Democrat is is a way to seem more progressive or leftist, uh, while mm-hmm. at the core being fundamentally about this kind to of seem. success mongering. That's like the key phrase Tracy right Flick there. Mindset. To seem more progressive. Right. Um, Anyway, so here's this paragraph. But Obama as a candidate may be as close as many of us will ever come to a 20-somethings ideal politician. The sheer force of that fluid, academically honed intelligence, the nuance and honesty of the race speech, the dancing, and a comparison of the two on that count <laughs> yields something very odd. Bernie's crankiness to Obama's cool, his age to Obama's wow. freshness, his nagging to Obama's rhetorical deafness, his hokiness to Obama's humor, his gout to Obama's jump shot. All make for a strangely conservative vision. (laughs) Wait, I'm not done. All make for a strangely conservative vision of a youth idol. 
Then there's the awkward fact of the most diverse generation of voters in the country's history rallying behind another white guy. This is so, so sad. This, so this paragraph, I think, is her trying to, because I'm sure in her mind she is young, radical maybe it. in a way, progressive, <laughs> cutting edge, whatever. Yet she is clearly and not very pro woman. Right, but but then she sees like all these younger, especially I think like younger women, and I think mm-hmm. this is what really I think pained a lot of Hillary supporters is seeing the the generation gap because I think they could easily live with being opposed by racist, sexist, whatever. Sure, but then to be on the wrong side of the age divide, especially if they were kind of young themselves, maybe on the uh, older end of youth you know like if you're kind of like in your your late 20s maybe early 30s um and then i i think because then what, what can you say right because you can easily dismiss the magas uh and, and all those like bigots whatever but when it's like the young people against you and you yourself mm-hmm. saw see yourself as like the the vanguard of progress and I you're kind of really you're, you're still kind of young yourself too right like it's- exactly and and then you have that like uh, are the kids wrong or or am I out of touch? Well, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have that Skinner moment. <laughs> um, and and it, I think this is her trying to uh, try to cast Bernie as some kind of conservative old white man, whereas Obama's the cool black guy, which, I mean, it was, it, it, it like, it especially has not aged well. The whole thing like is stupid because Bernie wasn't running against Obama. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, so I think stupid. this, and as I said, I will admit, I... I like. I think I had her mindset back then. Is Obama like Hillary is essentially Obama's surrogate? Like Hillary mm-hmm. herself, whatever. Um, like my sympathy with her is more like I. She had to put up a lot of shit in the nineties, uh, so I'll give her credit for that. But as I said, mainly I wanted her to win because I thought she would be Obama's third term. And I think this is her thinking too in in this paragraph where it's like, hey, you know, you might not like Hillary, but Obama has the cool jump shot. <laughs> Uh, i am like i was i was very curious about why you you posted this article in signal because you were just like hey check out this article that um check out this article from 2016 so i read it and i was like chris what the hell is this (laughs) (laughs) well okay well i I was like i'm so confused i'm like are we like are we supposed to like this is how you think? <laughs> I think, but as I said, uh, I will fully cop to it. This is yeah, how I, I know. Now, now used to it's, think. It's all explained to me now because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was just very baffled when I first read the article because it just, um, it was just like, isn't this everything that we hate? Like, it's all right, in this right, article. Yeah. But, but I think it, it makes me... It, it makes me wonder about how many other people were so changed after 2016. Yeah, I am too. Like I would say that like, um, so in 2012, I was like, it was 2011. I can't even remember the exact years. But like I say 2011, 2012, I was like really obsessed with the Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. And then um, by the time 2016 came around, I think that I was like kind of maturing in my political um, ideology. But mm-hmm. still kind of cringe, like when I read old <laughs> blog posts that I wrote in 2016 and 2017, it's like, oh my God, I like really bought into the whole identity politics thing. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's kind of embarrassing, but I leave them up just to remind myself. <laughs> <laughs> like self-penance. Personal <laughs> growth. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about you, Philip? Like, did you, but you said you weren't that political anyway. So there I, I wasn't in, until Bernie, right? That's why I was mm-hmm. saying, like, I, I felt mm-hmm. that energy mm-hmm. that was probably pissing off this writer. 
And Bernie 2016 crazy... or Bernie this year? 2016, 2016. Cool, right? cool. And like with uh, with this this writer and the whole like Tracy Flick crowd, I kind of wonder if they still exist. Like, was this repeating itself with Biden? Oh, yeah, Biden? for sure. Yeah, they, they I think totally they, they went to the they're Warren all, camp. Uh, they, I was going to say they all have yeah. that, like, they all have that mint green background on their on their Twitter bios. It's the, it's the Warren Democrats. Right. The Warren um, Democrats. I don't Who are probably know. now Kamala Democrats. Mm. Yeah, but it's I, the I K-Hivers think... too. Right. I, I don't know if they've completely gone K-Hive because I think, I think, um, I think at, after 2016, they realized going like full K-Hive would, is not the, the winning way because, uh, you know, th- that might be a little too like uncool or whatever, but they definitely became Warren Democrats, I think, on the pretext that it was because, oh, they were so progressive all along, but I think they really saw Warren as the Tracy Flick successor, someone who had the plans because- She does Elizabeth- have a bit of Tracy Flick in her, Warren does. Right, uh, kind of a more. She's like a mix, I think, of Paul and Tracy because she has that kind of loopiness that Paul has. Well, she's <laughs> like, not as grating as Hillary and Tracy. Yeah, like remember, like Paul's god awful speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so good. No that was the best acting. That was all... the best fucking acting. <laughs> <laughs> like I could see Warren doing that because, like, like Hillary will always give, uh, you know, a perfectly rehearsed, mm-hmm. uh, kind of just speech. flat, yeah, like like wanna be impassioned, but but nobody flat? connects. I think no, that she's fl- like so. I think that she's very impassioned, but in a very like abrasive way. What I mean by flat is that it doesn't really connect with anyone. Like she tries really hard to, you know, go with the, you know, rising tones and, you know, emo- try to ride emotional waves and stuff. But to a lot of people, just as you said, just sounds uh, kind of grating. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, Paul is just like mumbling into the mic. <laughs> uh, you know, I could, you know, Warren's more of, of like, I think mumbling into the mic than, uh, you know, like a Tracy Flick, Hillary Clinton type. So that's why I say she's kind of a blend. So, so well, well, maybe to some extent that the Tammy, you know, uh, Paul's sister, right, who jumps in wildcard and like does her speech where it's completely unrehearsed, completely unwritten. And she basically says like, fuck the establishment. She's saying don't vote. But if you like take the energy and make it analogous to Bernie's like, fuck the billionaires, like the Dems are not necessarily on your side. Yeah. She's kind of, he kind of fits the Tammy character. Yeah. But as I said, the only reason I would oppose that is like Bernie was still very much a believer in the system, even if he thought we had to overhaul it. Yeah, she was saying um, crush the system, right? But I'm saying the, the energy behind it and the response to it where everybody's like, oh, I can get behind this. Yeah, yeah. Right? I didn't want I didn't want either of the other two candidates. I want this third one. Yeah. I think someone like like Nader would have been much, uh, a bigger fit because I, I think Nader was much more of, of like played the spoiler role knowingly because I think mm-hmm. Bernie genuinely believed he could win. And, mm. uh, you know, there were times, especially in, well, in the 2020. Well, why wouldn't he believe he could win? He was winning. Right, right. Well, mm-hmm. Especially in like 2020. Um, God, like I, I just think about like the days leading up to the Iowa caucus, which still to this day, I believe was totally spiked and uh, it was black ops all the way. But yeah. and that was Obama. before the corona. Yeah, and that was before the coronavirus. It really, mm-hmm. it really was like a different era, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let, let's not. It was only get like too seven months here. ago. It's only seven months ago, yeah. But yeah. anyway, uh, to, to chart my own transformation by like, 2018 or something i was firmly just like totally bernie and i mean one of the big reasons was obama's just been so fucking disappointing after uh, after his presidency what do you want him to do well I, I there's certain things i don't want him to do you know for example like conspiring against bernie, bernie and, and you know yeah okay. and, you know That's, things like that letting yeah. things play <laughs> out he never seems to really speak out except against other democrats he doesn't like 
and he just gives very tepid, you know, go vote type of things when he's talking about Trump. And so what, what, what are you waiting for? You're, you're going to be worshipped no matter what among most Democrats. You were president for eight years. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You couldn't have done this? You almost have unlimited capital to do whatever you want. And all you do is make Netflix specials and <laughs> go make boring tweets. Like you have, You've worked so hard to gain the stature. So use it, man. You know, so that's, that, I think that's one of the biggest things, just like total disillusionment with Obama. Has anyone listened to the, the, the podcast, Michelle's podcast? Hell no, I'm not listening to that. Mm. <laughs> not interested. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem uh, cynically like a way to set up uh, like a news network in case Trump wins. So it's like Radio Free America, I suppose, in, in under a Trump regime. So it's like either way they win, either they'll get uh, President Kamala, who is about as close to an Obama successor as you can think of, or you get the, the uh, increasing rise of the resistance cottage industry, which at this point is, is a whole, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, not a cottage industry. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And especially among Asian Americans, I wonder how many people have turned because, you know, like you, Liza, I was once very much on the identity politics train because I thought, and I, and I still am in terms of principle, I do think your identity matters things can't just be reduced to say class like certain like white leftists want which is one of the reasons i really did not trust the bernie movement uh when it first came out it really did seem very like a bunch of disgruntled white people especially white guys who who you know all went to college but life didn't pan out you know they didn't become whatever like screenwriters or youtube stars or tech bros or you know their dreams were dashed and now they've suddenly decided to become socialist and whatever I had that suspicion but um you know as the years have gone by i've also seen just how completely just hypocritical the whole identity politics crowd can be mm-hmm. and um i'm just wondering how many other people have had those, those i feel uh, like changes. that's becoming a, a mainstream notion this idea that uh the the i the id poll movement is uh because like think about like the you know we talked about like bill burr and like the backlash to pc and all that stuff rising now like that it's definitely shifting right mm-hmm. yeah um mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think the reason for that shift is we've seen how inconsistent they are like you know uh, uh, for example just take a take a look at this whole attack uh on like black men as as the you know would be culprits for yeah. a Trump mm-hmm. victory. And like wait wait a minute, you you you're all out there uh, in the summer is chanting like say his name George Floyd and all that. Um, yet if George Floyd were alive, would you like impugn him as as enabling um, Trump? I mean, who who even right. knows if George Floyd voted? I'm guessing no, probably. Um, so would he be part of the problem? You're just going to use his carcass to to <laughs> advance your own agenda to get the media jobs you want and bullshit like that. So fuck mm-hmm. that. Pretty fucked. Okay, uh, we are about at an hour, so I think we can. If you guys want to talk about anything else, I think we could. We have a little more time to to discuss. Yeah, what's the movie that got you into uh, politics? If there oh, was shoot, one. Oh shoot, totally forgot about. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, quickly to go over, uh, it was Primary Colors, and I think it was not a good movie uh, to get me into <laughs> politics because Primary Colors. <laughs> if you, this is um, a John Travolta movie, right? Yes, John Travolta, uh. great performance as as the as the Bill Clinton. Uh, Stanton, Jack Stanton, governor of Mississippi in the movie. But the whole movie is, is about, uh, it's kind of a kind of a warm-hearted look at uh, Clinton's first, uh, his primary season in 1992, hence the title. 
And and you and I watched it as a Canadian. I had no idea what the hell these people are talking about, like Iowa, New Hampshire. Because there's a part where he comes in like second in New Hampshire. And they're so happy. I'm like mm-hmm. that makes no sense. He didn't win. Like why is why does this matter? But then you learn about the whole fascinating primary process where it's basically all about trying to play the media to f- act like you're winning. You know, so it's like. Mm-hmm better to come in second in new hampshire if people thought you were dead rather than actually winning new hampshire but people thought you would win by a bigger margin like that kind mm. of craziness mm. um so it just got me fascinated in the in in the in the thing and it's very um, theatrical it's very theatrical in a way that canadian politics is not yeah was it weird that uh they they like it was supposed to be based on bill clinton's run was it weird that they played it as like here's a fictional bill clinton and not just like make it kind of a dramatization with bill clinton well, it was very famously uh, based on a book called uh, Primary Calls that was written anonymously by somebody who was very close to the Clinton campaign. Oh, okay. I've also read the book. Um, and it turned out to be this guy named Joe Klein, who I think was a longtime reporter for Time magazine. Mm-hmm. So everyone knew this was a very thinly veiled, uh, like a Romana Clay about Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. So there's like no hiding the fact this is obviously Bill. And it's obviously Hillary played by, you know, the great Emma Thompson. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Uh Billy Bob Thornton plays what's it James Carville, the James Carville character, another great performance by Billy Bob. And it, as I said, it, it's a very entertaining movie. Oh, Kathy Bates is in it. Oh, she's so great in this. It plays this like crazy political operative that really shows you just how childish like the whole mm-hmm. like Oppo research game can get. So it, it really draws you in by the the kind of um the games of politics as opposed to the ideas and things like that. And they, you know, they present the Clintons as as you know flawed idealists which again mm-hmm. uh makes you sympathize with them so you know good movie but i i think it's it's kind of a bad movie to get you into politics <laughs> i think it gets it gets you into it for the wrong reasons yeah this is the point <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you guys um um for me it was all the president's men from 1976 uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty old i i watched it I first watched the movie in 2012 after I was like really obsessed with Occupy movement. And then I watched it again in 2017 when my politics were really starting to change and mature. Um, I'll give a quick rundown because I, you know, just think it's, it's a pretty old movie. So I'm not sure if people are as familiar with it as, as they were back when, you know, when it, when it came out, but it is two reporters who work for the Washington Post uh, called Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who are actual people. And they research and report on the, the 1972 burglary of the Democratic Party headquarters at Watergate. And, <clears throat> you know, um, Everyone knows the story of Deep Throat, and Deep Throat is played by Hal Holbrook in the movie. And the two reporters end up making the connection between the burglary and the White House. Um, This is so, like, this is a movie that, you know, so what we were talking about earlier, Chris, like from 20, I guess, like 2016 to now, or even before that to now, it's like, I also went from being more of a neo-lib to a leftist and like really understanding what the radical left really meant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But this movie, it's really about, uh, it's a political movie about the journalism industry. And it had like, at the time in 1976, when it came out, it, it had a positive impact on politics because this is the first time 
in history that a movie swung an election and cost the Republicans the presidency, despite oh, all of that. Oh, really? Geo- wow. Yeah, despite all of the Republican propaganda and trying to bury all the details about Watergate. <clears throat> And it clarified for a lot of Americans their suspicions about big government and political corruption. And uh, I, I mean, I've heard the movie called um, a, a Victory Lap for Journalism, which was great for democracy back then. But like fast forward to 2020. And now um, I would say that the the long term impact of that movie, not um, very inadvertently, like it's not their intention, but it's been like negative because now like so after that movie came out it was like a commercial and critical success and then all mm-hmm. the rich kids wanted to become journalists because Precisely. journalists were like the new rock stars after yeah, Watergate. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. um you know like so so previously um a rich American kid would never want to be a lowly reporter like these guys and ironically all the president's men it's it's about anti-establishment journalism. It's about the Watergate scandal and the mm-hmm. takedown of the Nixon administration. But then all the rich kids wanted to become journalists and they entered the profession en masse. And then the next generations of political reporters, you know, instead of viewing people in power <clears throat> as like the enemy to be taken down and exposed, they see them as like cultural soulmates because economically <laughs> and socially they are. And political reporters now, uh, they're like professional apologists for the, the, the elites, for the ruling class. And it's so the opposite of what all the president's men mm. set out to do. You know, like journalism back then was, um, it was challenging the institutional point of view. And now it's told from the institutional point of view. Mm-hmm. So just watching just watching that movie, uh, that's what that's what really got me. Just like thinking about the ways that the media and politics work together, and how there's just so much propaganda everywhere. Yeah. And like as much as I appreciate people like Chris Como and Anderson Cooper as journalists, and I think that they are among the better ones. Like they both still represent everything that's wrong with the industry today. Like Anderson Cooper is a fucking Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't hide that with, with with your name, you know. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's pushback. A lot of people argue that it's not the same at the local level, and I agree with that pushback because local news is filled with real reporting, and they have an ear to the ground in ways that national mainstream journalists don't. But local news is like, I, I don't know. It's like it's dying. I mean, a it's dying. It's dying. It's like, yeah. yeah, and B, if you're like a if you're like a kid uh, aspiring to be a journalist, you're not aspiring to be. Um, a reporter no, you want to be Anderson Cooper. You want to be Wolf Blitzer. Yeah, yeah. you want to be those guys. You don't even want to be like you don't even want to be Woodward and uh, <laughs> you don't even want to be Woodward and Bernstein anymore. Yeah. Um. There's a you know the Lee Fong, who's a reporter for the Intercept, had a had a very contentious tweet I think this week where he pointed out how um, if you look at the education level and like you know just like social cultural class level of reporters it's like even higher than those of i I think he said like judges and lawyers or something like that and a lot of um you know twitter is uh, you know uh, is like a haven for journalists and stuff a lot of people got upset and be like you know my my grandfather was like for that and actually lee fong is right 
Right. I, I know. Yeah. I, I think. And I think that's why people got so upset. I mean, because. in this case, he's right. I I, yeah. I understand that Li Fang says a lot of things that people really don't. They they really disagree with. But I would say that in this case, it's like credit where it's due. He's right. Like ninety eight percent of journalists born after nineteen seventy have like um, they're, they're college educated. Um, they all come from like upper middle class families. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Credit where it's due, he's right. Sometimes the person that you really hate is uh, has a point to make. Yeah, and and I think there's like this blur. I I have no facts to back this up, but but the the sense I get is that there's like this blurring of like journalism slash like editorial writing slash even like fiction writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all like the the idea of like the hard nose, almost like like. PI type of uh, reporter is is not quite the modern day journalist. The modern day journalist is very well educated, hangs out with Hollywood and publishing people. So the the lines between, as I said, like hard uh, pursuit of fact uh, and even just like make believe is is getting blurred. That's not true for local journalism, right? Local journalism probably not because, as I said, like probably who really not. But like, I mean, I'll to admit to them. myself as much as I mm. support local journalism, like I don't actually read it that as often as I should. You know, I don't tune in like I should. And like, I don't subscribe to like the Baltimore Sun or anything. Yeah. Well, a big part of it is that they don't have budgets to, act, to, to market as much as mm-hmm. the big mainstream uh, crowd. So my, my last thought, and this is this is maybe the answer to the question of which which political movie got me into politics, which is none, is that... Yeah, exactly. That's why uh, I didn't ask you, Philip, because <laughs> it didn't seem like yeah, you would well, well, I was going to say that I was looking at the, the two movies you guys brought up and I know that at, at the age maybe when you watched it, I would have had zero interest in those movies. But now I would have a ton of interest. So it's kind of interesting how, how things can change uh, over time. But um, yeah, they, I mean, they, it's just so interesting to see them, like to just look at the synopsis and be like, I don't really, there's nothing that seems entertaining about this, seems really boring, you know? Um, so you, it feels like you need a little bit of something to get you into some of these films. Uh, maybe, and maybe like, you know, 2016 and 2020 are those two things that will get a lot of people into watching more political films. Mm-hmm. Liza, any last thoughts? Yes. Um, I was just going through my Instagram DMs and my Twitter, Twitter DMs. Um, a bunch of people are asking me if we are going to be reviewing Trial of the Chicago 7. The answer is yes. yes. The three of us will be watching Trial of the Chicago 7 this week and it will be on next week's episode. And we'll also be watching uh, Matthew Kasovitz's Lahane as a companion piece as well. Um, I just want to quickly get my last thoughts right now. Tottenham's playing West Ham. Uh, Sonny Min already <laughs> scored a goal. Gareth Bale is making his return to Tottenham. Uh, so I, I want to go watch this. My last thoughts. Uh, don't don't be afraid if your politics are constantly evolving because, as I said, mine uh, had some pretty big changes since 2016. I think mm-hmm. it's a very harmful myth that you got to be set in your ways from the day you were born. And if you're not, you're a poser. I, obviously, be aware of you know how you're changing and, and you know be aware and, and be as understanding of other people as they change. But, you know, the, the world's crazy right now. You should not be having the same beliefs uh, as you did even like a few months ago, probably. You should constantly be learning. So that's all I'll have to say on this matter. Uh, thanks for mm-hmm. listening. Uh, we will catch you next time. Hey.